From ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Bill Ritter. We are gearing up for rounds two of a one-two punch of weather, or maybe it's a really a one-two-three punch. We'll get to that in a second. This new storm threatens to trigger flooding once again in parts of the tri-state. New Jersey Governor Murphy declaring a state of emergency effective 5 p.m. tomorrow. In New York City, Mayor Adams activated the city's flash flood emergency plan. And meteorologist Jeff Smith and his colleagues activating an AccuWeather alert. And he's tracking and timing out this complex storm right now for us. Jeffrey? And it's really a multifaceted triple threat storm. We're talking rain, we're talking wind, we're also talking the possibility of coastal flooding. First of all, the rainfall. We have a flood watch in effect. No big surprise here for the entire area. Late Tuesday into the day on Wednesday. There's your high wind warnings for New York City, Long Island, south coastal Connecticut, down the Jersey Shore for Tuesday night. Winds gusting 40 to 60 miles per hour. It's a wind advisory inland and last but by no means least a coastal flood warning along the south shore of Long Island for the Wednesday morning high tide. Tide cycle could be two to three feet of inundation and 15 to 20 foot breaking waves in that area. So that could cause moderate to locally major coastal flooding, especially in vulnerable spots. So here you go. The bottom line is rain arrives tomorrow, the heaviest of which will be tomorrow night, tomorrow evening in particular. Two to four inches of rain across the entire area into very early Wednesday morning. That'll cause a significant flooding threat. First, you get your flash flooding in urban areas and low lying areas and poor drainage locations. And then it's all about the streams and the rivers. And that's really a prolonged situation, especially along places like the Passaic River. Winds can be gusting 40 to 60 miles per hour, the highest of which would be along the south shore of Long Island. Right now, 41 degrees in the city. You wouldn't know a storm is coming. If you look outside right now, it's pretty clear. Temperatures in the upper 30s off to the north and west. Just some high clouds creeping in from the west right now. They'll lower and thicken by early tomorrow morning. You wake up to overcast skies. No problems for the Tuesday morning commute. However, rainfall already moving into the area by midday. Could start, by the way, as a brief period of wet snow well north and west of town. And then it really kicks it into a whole other gear as we head toward the evening commute. There's going to be big problems developing, big puddles developing for the evening commute, so expect a slow go of it. And then we talk about what's the, the worst part of the storm, which will be mid to late evening tomorrow. Get a lot of oranges and reds on here, indicating really heavy rainfall rates and probably some really gusty winds to go along with it. The heaviest rain shifting east of the city by after midnight. It's pretty much gone by dawn on Wednesday, maybe just a couple of lingering showers, but certainly some lingering flooding issues out there as well. In terms of the rainfall, yes, two to four inches across much of the area, and we may maximize this rain over areas that have snowpack, and that snowpack basically contains about an inch of water. So you can effectively add an inch onto these totals because you're going to be rapidly melting that snowpack tomorrow night into early Wednesday morning. Of course, wind, another big factor. By midday tomorrow, 20 to 30 mile per hour gust. Look at by 5 p.m. though, 30 to 45 mile per hour gust, but the worst of it waits until later on tomorrow evening, where a lot of locations will be gusting up and over 50 miles per hour, maybe up to 60 miles per hour, especially over parts of Long Island. That can cause power outages. Don't forget the rainfall is going to be saturating the ground. It's going to be easier for trees to be toppled in this type of situation. So here's your AccuWeather forecast for tonight. 35, partly cloudy out there, 20s in some suburbs. That rain developing, overspreading the area during the day tomorrow. It becomes breezy, that high getting up to 47. But again, the brunt of the storm is tomorrow night with that AccuWeather alert. Significant flash flooding likely 
might, might just want to stay inside tomorrow night, along with strong wind gusts of 45 to 60 miles per hour, 45 for the low. I think we could have wind sustained at 25 to 40 across much of the area. Here's your Iraqi weather seven-day forecast. Flooding will linger into Wednesday and, of course, along some of these rivers, including the Passaic, well into the latter part of the week. 48 on Thursday, mostly sunny, and guess what? More rain coming in. Another soaker Friday night into the first half of Saturday, 54 Saturday, and then much colder air arrives. It might be cold enough so that by Monday night, our next system comes in as some snow or a mix. A lot to talk about in the AccuWeather forecast. Back over to you, Bill. Jeff, before you go, we're going to talk to the mayor of Patterson in a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. Any chance this will not lead to what you think it's going to lead to? Uh, at this point, we're very confident. All of our models are showing two to four inches of rain across the area. Yeah. We already have saturated ground. We have that snowpack uh, north and west of New York City. Like I was saying, that snowpack contains a tremendous amount of water. So you're effectively adding that water onto the yep. rainfall amounts, which will there be two go. to four inches. All right, Jeff, we'll see you in a yep. little bit with more information. Thank you. And joining us now with more is Patterson Mayor Andre Seya. Mayor Seya, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Bill, I was hoping Jeff would say they could potentially be wrong, but clearly that's not the case. That's, I thought you would answer like that, and that's why I asked them that question, because, listen, there is a margin of error on this, but, but all the, all the uh, information points to that. Uh, we know Governor Murphy has declared a state of emergency, effective 5 p.m. How's the city of Patterson preparing right now? I actually will be declaring a state of emergency again, and my declaration will be effective at 5 p.m. tomorrow as well. This morning, I met with my OEM coordinator, Office of Emergency Management. We went over our game plan. So here's what's going to happen. Yeah. We are preparing the barricades to close off the streets. So they've been loaded onto DPW trucks, trucks, Department of Public Works. We also have our swift boats ready for rescue operations. We had to perform rescue operations in our previous storm a few weeks ago. We also have high water vehicles prepared as well in the event we have to rescue residents like i stated before we had to i'll give you one example we have an elderly we had an elderly individual he needed dialysis treatment our first responders coordinated their efforts got him out of his house and got him to safety so he could have his dialysis treatment because if that wasn't the case we'd be having a different kind of conversation right now yeah no question about that mayor with the video we were showing I, I assume you can see it on your computer too yes uh, this was from last month uh, what did you learn? What did you learn from that flooding last month that you can apply to what may happen in the next couple of days? Yeah, there's a few takeaways. We're trying to be very proactive as far as when we're going to close the streets. I'm actually declaring a state of emergency much earlier than I did the last time. I also want to bring to everyone's attention that last year we applied for a grant through the Department of Community Affairs in New Jersey to help us build a flood resiliency wall so that we can combat this flooding. And what we also did, we created a fund for the flood victims, and I'm I'm sure that that's going to have to expand after tomorrow. You know, it's interesting. A wall would be really important, right, to stop this flooding from getting into the houses, because that's yeah. where you have all the problems. There's no question. We want to bring in uh, Jeff Smith, if that's all right, Mary, as you can see in their screen. Wait, Bill, is, if Je is Jeff coming back to tell us he was wrong? No, or? I don't think so. I, I wish. Uh, I, I really wish. So. But yeah. he's a, he's I was a, hoping that was the case. Mm -hmm. <laughs> unless, you're, unless I'm wrong, Jeff, unless you have something to do, I don't think so. Uh, what would you ask the mayor uh, about getting prepared for this? Well, I mean, I'm looking at the graphs right now, and Little Falls, as you know, Mayor, a pretty good proxy for what happens uh, in Patterson as well, and I would expect some flooding issues to be in Patterson probably by around midday uh, Wednesday. We're expecting a crest 
Probably not until later on in the week. I mean, we're going up, we're up to 8.9 feet, uh, 7 a.m. Thursday, but it goes higher beyond that. So it could be later Thursday or Friday before you get your actual crest in Little Falls. And the problem is we have this other rainstorm coming in for Friday night into early Saturday. Uh, right now, I was looking at some of the extended guidance, and the Passaic River might not fall below flood stage until the middle of next week. Maybe wow. it doesn't crest. This might be a little piece of good news. It might not crest quite as high as it did on uh, back in the December 20th situation. So, so what you've seen, Mayor, from what Jeff just said, yeah. you get the final word on this, uh, Mayor. Well, Jeff gave us a piece of good news because the last time the Passaic River crested a few weeks ago, it went over 10 feet. Yep. Right. That and, and schools have to be closed for the entire week as a result. Right. I mean, this forecasting is always very challenging, especially in the longer range. We're going for a crest probably in the 9 to 10 foot range. So maybe it's a little bit less, but I wouldn't completely count on it because we get this other rainstorm coming in Friday night. And as we saw, Mayor, you, a lot of people have not st- have not finished cleaning up. It's still yeah. a long way to go. Uh, our thoughts are with you. Our fingers are crossed. Mayor Andre Sea uh, from Patterson. Good luck to you, sir. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. All right. Really good luck. We we're thinking about you there. As we continue with Iowa Zoo's Extra Time, an investigation and now new fallout after a scare in the air. So what's going on with certain planes from Boeing again? We're going to take a closer look. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. Some important news tonight from United Airlines. It says it has found loose bolts during inspections of its 737 MAX 9 fleet. Airlines not say how many planes had those loose bolts, but this is important stuff. This after a Boeing 737 MAX 9 lost a fuselage door plug while in the air last Friday. The plane had been in the air for only six minutes when it was forced to make an emergency land in Portland, Oregon. Now, certain types of the 737 MAX 9 airplanes have been grounded nationwide, and the NTSB looking into whether the plane should have been cleared to fly at all. Joining us with more on the aviation situation, analyst uh, Henry Hartefeld. Did I, did I pronounce that right, Henry, I hope? Hartefeld? Yes, you did. All right, beautiful. Yes, you did. You're from the Atmosphere Research Group, and thank you for joining us. I, I have so many questions uh, but let's start with the basic one. What do you think happened with that Alaska airline jet? Well, it seems like the bolts uh, holding that plugged door in place failed. And uh, the door popped out uh, shortly after takeoff. Uh, that's obviously not supposed to happen. That's a, a catastrophic incident. incident. Yes. Right. And it, and it does. And it, you, you look at that picture, Henry. It, it's hugely scary uh, for anyone who, who flies a lot or a little, right? It's it's enormously scary because obviously that is in, uh, supposed to be where a door or a part of the fuselage is. It's enormously frightening because especially at that speed and altitude, we're lucky no one was sucked out of the plane. So you, you heard what uh, Boeing said today. They found loose bolts on many of their 737 nine, MAX 9s. Uh, listen, no, we know nobody just goes there and does that on purpose, I don't think, but uh, I hope they don't. Um, but how does that happen? Could it be that there's some defect in these bolts? 
Well, Bill, this is now what people are going to be investigating. At first, we thought, is this a one-off incident just with this Alaska airplane? But now, with United having said that there are multiple 737 MAX 9 aircraft with loose bolts, it looks like this could be a more systemic problem. That's when the real worrying starts, because with 171 planes grounded and 215 of these planes operating, uh, airlines around the world, I think, are now all going to be inspecting these uh, uh, exit door plugs. Before we get into how the government has responded on this, because I think a lot of people are interested in this, but how does this explain for our viewers how this differs than the old uh, Boeing uh, 737 MAX planes that were taken off? All of them were taken off, the new ones. Well, these are not the, the 737 same, right? MAX 9, yeah. right. The 737 MAX 9 is simply one of several variants of the plane. It's stretched, which is why they call it the 9. The smallest is the 7. Um, but all of these planes were grounded uh, following two crashes in 2019. Right. They were grounded for 20 months. Uh, and that was because of a flight control uh, problem. Uh, they got a clean bill of health after a lot of work by Boeing and Boeing paying billions of dollars in fines uh, and frankly losing orders for the planes as well. It's estimated to have cost Boeing nearly $21 billion. Now, this is a new problem, but what concerns me is this plug door isn't just on the MAX 9, it's also on an older version of the 737, the 900 series. Now, if I, if I remember correctly, and correct me if I didn't remember correctly, uh, this, this unveiled the investigation before pre-COVID. Uh, it, it showed that there were problems by sort of, you know, not, going, not doing a full-on audit of all these things before they put them on the air. Uh, correct. It was discovered that there were some shortcuts taken with the design of the flight control system, training, oversight or lack of oversight, frankly, by the FAA on Boeing's certification and work on this. And a lot of remedial work uh, was done uh, after this, this was discovered. And again, Boeing paid, I believe, more than $2 billion, if I'm recalling it correctly, in fines to the FAA for these flaws. All right. So it's a, it's, it's a complex question. I'm going to ask it in simple terms. How safe is it to fly on this plane right now? It's safe to fly on the 737 7 and 8 series, the sh two shorter yeah. versions, which are very widely used. The MAX 9 is grounded and will, will remain grounded until the FAA is satisfied that this plane is safe. All right. Uh, aviation analyst Henry Hardefelt from the Atmosphere Research Group. Really, thank you for coming on. I appreciate your insight, Henry. Thank you. All right. Take care. As we continue with Iowa Zoo's Extra Time tonight, turning troubles into triumph. We'll show you how a fascination with all things small made a big change in a New York artist's life. Now, an extraordinary story of a man in Brooklyn who made a big change in his life by thinking small, a really small. In March 2020, Danny Quartz. Cortez, I should say, was out of work in the middle of a divorce and serving a four-year probation sentence for selling drugs. During the pandemic, he found himself drawn to the world of miniature art. And that pandemic pastime sparked a remarkable turnaround. And we're going to learn all about it. Joining us with more Brooklyn artist Danny Cortez. Cortez, I should say Cortez. Is that how special? Cortez, Danny Cortez. It's got to be Danny How's it Cortez. going, Bill? Danny, good to see you, my brother. And, and it's, uh, I want to know everything about this. First... You went through a pretty rough time. How did yes. art become your escape? Um, you know, during the pandemic, uh, I, I discovered uh, uh, 
a passion for creating miniatures as I found myself with more free time uh, going through a divorce, um, legal troubles, financial loss, and moving back into my mom's house. I found the strength that, you know, either I'm going to be depressed all day or I'm going to get up and, and work on something. There you go. And um, I decided to put some of these tools that have been collecting dust in my mom's apartment. And little did I know that this would lead to a world of miniature artistry. And, and here we are today. W were you at you, all? Bill? Were you? Well, I appreciate that. Uh, did you have interest in art when you were a kid? I did. You know, as, as a kid, you know, little things here and there. But nothing, nothing serious. No, no formal art training or nothing. What are we looking at right now in the picture on your computer with the, in your hand? Uh, that's a miniature relay mailbox. That's the piragua cart. That's what we call them in, in, in Brooklyn, yep. Puerto Rico, Latin community, Frio Frio. Um, yeah, that's that's the, a nostalgic summer piece. Uh, definitely the iconic mailbox. Wow. And so, w why miniature art? I mean, you you had a, you know you said you you know drew as a kid and had that, had all that, but w what drew you to miniature art? Uh, we could go as far back as Mr. Rogers, uh, uh, you know, looking at that trolley when it pulled up, you know, yeah. uh, excited, it's excitement, you know, when it's to see that trolley and and then looking at the the houses with the white picket fence and everything. But early on in my life, I knew as a child that I didn't come from that those surroundings. But um, I decided to document my surroundings, which is 80s, 90s. Uh, and, and present New York City, the, the nostalgic um, essence of New York City. And I notice there's a lot of graffiti on much of the on some of the of the small art, right? That reflects yes, where uh, you grew up. Well, it's definitely around us, especially in the, in, in, the, in the rural uh, urban communities over here in, uh, in Bushwick, and you know uh, New York City. Period. So it's it, it's beauty, you know. What's like like uh, eyesore to the normal eye is beauty to me. You know, it tells a story. And there's a there's the inside of a of a subway. It looked like so. Look at that. You are really concentrating and focusing on that because that's what you have to do when it's so small, right? Yeah, I'm in a zone, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really good, and I think that zone might have carried you out of the negative and into the positive. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to be that voice, you know that that's never it's never too too late, you know. Um, my work, you know, constantly. I want to, um, which helps like people it's never too late it's never too late like you know it, when, when your back is against the wall and you, and you and you work from the heart you know things change yeah and and you're being rewarded for it in fact you know your artwork just exploded in popularity right what did that feel like oh man it, it was amazing to this day I'm, I'm trying to pinch myself and 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 you know and i guess it was sometimes i i, I don't know but what keeps me going is that you know the people that stop me in the street for pictures, uh, the the fan mail that I'm getting, um, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Sometimes it's hard to explain, but um, you know, it's just when 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 your art moves people, it, it, it's just it serves as a as a, a constant reminder that that that's why I continue to make my art is is for those for everyone for New York City. Enjoy if I like it, I'm pretty sure. Uh, thousands, thousands of people would too. Yep. Well, you know what? I think people see that story, and they're gonna, you're gonna be inspired by you. And let me just say, we're gonna, I'll post this on my page. We'll, I'll get you a copy of it. Leave your email with our producer, I it. and I will send you a copy of this so you can post it yourself because you have an inspiring you. story. And I really wish you good luck, Danny. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. All right. Good luck, my brother, Danny Cortez. Uh, turning, turning art 
into something more. As we continue with Ivan Azu's Extra Time, he once stepped in to save a stranger in the subway. Now, a father from the Bronx hopes someone will step up to help save his life. Tonight, a circle of life kind of story. A man who saved a woman's life on the subway several years ago now needs someone to save his life. Juan Peters, a hero when an evildoer stabbed a subway rider, now looking for his hero who will donate to him a kidney. And if he can't find that, he could very well die. Eyewitness News reporter Kimberly Richardson covered the first hero story, and tonight she's covering what could be the second. I need an angel right now. I need an angel. Someone to step in and save his life. A man who at one point did just that for a stranger here in the subway. I can't even tell the darkness that would have happened with that lady and her kid gone in this, in this train station. And you said you would do it again. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. For Juan Peters, this is a full circle moment. In 2017, while on board a number five train pulling into the station, this woman began stabbing Anna Martinez. Juan pulled the clearly deranged attacker off. Anna was severely injured. At the time, in this exclusive report, we connected the pair. I just want to say thank you so much for being there because he doesn't know me, but he was there. Now the tables have turned. I lost my right kidney. It has no function whatsoever, and my left kidney is under 12 percent. Juan needs a new one. No one in his inner circle is a match. Top of mind for this father from the Bronx, his kids. They need their daddy. I have to try to keep 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 it going, keep the engine running, even though there's hardly nothing in the tank. Juan tells me if and when he does get a kidney, he wants to go into the ministry, once again paying it forward, helping others. It's not really, really, really about me. If I was just me, I would just go through the dialysis and let it lead me where it leads me to. But. Right now, I have a lot at stake with helping others. Juan hopes someone comes forward before it's too late. We've posted all the information at ABC 7 NY. Kimberly Richardson, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Fingers crossed. We're a little more than a month away from Mardi Gras, if you're counting. And the countdown's already underway, of course, in New Orleans. This weekend, carnival season kicked off with dozens of revelers and a brass band crowding onto a streetcar for a ride down the historic St. Charles Avenue. The celebrations continue until Mardi Gras known as Fat Tuesday. And how about a sailing trip around the world? That looks pretty nice, right? Six brave racers set sail from the French port city of Brest this weekend. It is the first solo race around the world on the large Ultums, which are 105-foot trimarans. They will sail west to east around South Africa and Australia and Africa and the journey is expected to take about seven weeks. And check out this magical winter wonderland of snow and ice. This was the scene in Arbin, located in northeast China. People enjoyed the ice slides, snow tubing, skating, and soaking up the scenery. In addition to winter sports, sports this immersed themselves, they did, with dancing and interactive performances. Wow, that is really cool. We sort of brought you a little travel log right there, ending in China. And on that note, that wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. We thank you for joining us. Hope you got something out of this. I know I did. I'm Bill Ritter. We're back live on Eyewitness News at 11 on Channel 7 WABC-TV, and we hope to see you then. Until then, have a great and safe evening.